It's the Victorian Variety Show. May Christmas cheer be plentiful and good, and may you spend the time in joyous mood. For you will be as full of tricks and jokes as clown and other Merry Christmas folks. This is the Victorian Variety Show. My name is Marissa, and the quote I just read appeared on a Christmas card that you might have received in the mail if you'd been alive during the Victorian era. It features a clown who looks like he's about to steal a sausage from a big plate on a table. But it seems like he realizes he's been caught because he's kind of looking over his shoulder. And behind him is a guy wearing a Harlequin type of costume, but no funny hat, with a mask over his eyes, holding a bat. So it doesn't look to me like this clown is about to play a trick or a joke. It looks more like he was trying to snatch a piece of sausage that was off limits to him. And the guy dressed as a harlequin either was standing guard over the sausage and takes his position a little too seriously, or maybe he's a fellow thief who thinks he should have dibs on the forbidden meat. It feels weird to try to interpret a card that's over a hundred years old. And it may seem even weirder to you to imagine that people would send cards to celebrate what we now think of as the most festive of holidays that bore undertones of thievery and violence. And for some of you, just hearing that there's a clown on the card might be unsettling enough. Although this clown doesn't look as menacing as Pennywise, and I really don't know if the Victorians were as freaked out by clowns as people tend to be nowadays. Actually, I don't think they were, but I can't say for certain. Who knows? Maybe I'll look into Victorian views of clowns for a future episode. But even if the clown's appearance on the card wasn't likely to disturb the average Victorian, there's no denying that this card suggests that a crime is about to take place. And that might strike you as strange if your idea of a Christmas card is something you can easily find in your neighborhood Hallmark store. However, I can tell you that this was not the first Victorian era Christmas card I found with a sinister feel about it. And as with a number of other phenomena that I've talked about on this show, things that seem weird or disturbing to us in the 21st century often weren't viewed in the same light during Victorian times. Which is why I can picture a Victorian time traveling ahead to the year 2021, watching us talking about how creepy clowns are and being like, seriously? Again, this is just a sense I get about how Victorians felt about clowns, but I digress. My intention isn't to discuss clowns today. Rather, is to talk about Victorian-era holiday cards, on which, in addition to devious clowns and harlequins, you are likely to see dead birds and frogs dancing with giant insects and troublemaking cats, not troublemaking in the sense that you see in memes nowadays with 
you know, with like grumpy cat or whatever. And sinister looking balls of meat and snowmen who were truly abominable and children baked into pies or begging Krampus for mercy and so on and so forth. But before I talk about how these, shall we say, memorable themes became popular and what they may have meant, I want to give you a little history on the Christmas card. Because even though the creepy ones seem to get most of the attention, at least they do in the virtual circles in which I travel, people really didn't exchange any kind of Christmas card until the mid-19th century. It can be difficult to lose sight of this today, when Christmas is a bajillion dollar industry, and they start showing ads for Christmas shopping before Halloween which really annoys me as someone who loves Halloween and thinks it deserves to have the month of October without Christmas trying to steal its thunder. But as Crystal Ponty points out in an article called Some of the Earliest Christmas Cards Were Morbid and Creepy, quote, Christmas didn't gain momentum until the mid-1800s, end quote. Specifically, 1843, when two important things happened. One of those pivotal events was the publication of the Charles Dickens novella, A Christmas Carol. And I want to give a shout out here to my listener, Gertrude Grizzly, who recommended the film, The Man Who Invented Christmas to Me. That film shows Dickens writing this classic. It's a great film, and if you haven't watched it yet, definitely check it out. But also, in 1843, Sir Henry Cole, who was a highly esteemed educator and patron of the arts, commissioned the first Christmas card. According to Ponty, 1,000 of these cards were printed, and it's relatively tame compared to the cards that came later. It says, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you, and shows a bunch of people of all ages sitting around a table and holding drinks although some of them seem to be looking right at you, which I think is kind of unsettling. But even though an article on the Victorian era website called Victorian Christmas Cards, Wishing Christmas in its original way, identifies Queen Victoria as what you might call an early adopter who encouraged her children to make Christmas cards and send them, it took several decades for the exchange of Christmas cards to become widespread. According to Marcus Bagsaw in Origins of the Victorian Christmas Card, one reason it took a while for Christmas cards to catch on was because early cards, which were usually lithographed and in many cases colored by hand, were very expensive to produce until the 1850s and 60s when color printing which was introduced by George Baxter in the 1830s, was licensed to more and more printers. In the United States, a German immigrant named Louis Prang, who owned a lithography business in Boston, is largely credited with popularizing Christmas cards during this time. However, Ponty notes that postal reform also played a significant role in making Christmas cards more accessible to the public. Although steps were taken to regulate postage rates in Britain with the passage of the Postage Act of 1839, 
It wasn't until October 1870, when the halfpenny was debuted by the British government, that mail service there became available to almost everyone. In America as well, a lot of changes were occurring that helped to make mail delivery more affordable and easier during this time, including, but certainly not limited to, the Pony Express and the expansion of railroads. So now that I've given you that brief history of the origins of the Christmas card, I'm going to talk about Victorian Christmas card design. In addition to the dinner party type of scene in the first Christmas card that I was talking about a few minutes ago, in an article called The Changing Styles of Christmas Cards from the Victorian Age to the Early 20th Century, Karen A. Sayers lists holly, mistletoe, ivy, nativity scenes, and birds, such as robins, wrens, and owls, as well as geese and turkeys, as popular themes on early Christmas cards. Some of these cards were pretty fancy, featuring silk bows, scalloped edges, padded cushions, that type of thing. And eventually, snow scenes also became popular. These featured children and adults alike riding in sleighs, idyllic snow-covered towns, churches, and farmhouses, that type of thing. Basically, the scenes on early Victorian Christmas cards might seem dated to you today, but they're probably not unusual either. If anything, they probably seem like something your grandmother might have sent to members of her book club or distributed at ladies' auxiliary potlucks 30 or 40 years ago. However, because these themes that originated with the Victorians seem so familiar to us today, we may not realize that the Victorians were actually pretty much making it up as they went along when it came to Christmas cards. As Colton Cruz explains in the history of creepy Victorian Christmas cards, because the idea of celebrating Christmas was a relatively new concept, quote, without the codified pantheon of characters we're used to today, artists came up with all kinds of wild images and scenes to wish people a Merry Christmas, end quote. So even though early Victorian artists were establishing holiday card traditions that remain somewhat familiar to this day, the artists themselves had relatively few traditions to adhere to, so they could let their creativity fly. Also, life was not easy during the Victorian era, to put it mildly. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, such as the one on death rituals and spiritualism, Individuals of all socioeconomic backgrounds were exposed to death on a regular basis, whether it was due to diseases like tuberculosis or the crime you saw in areas of London and other large cities, and especially in the U.S. in the 1860s, war. Average life expectancies were much lower than they are today, even taking factors like COVID into account. In 57 Victorian Christmas cards that are as creepy as those times themselves, Saruni Barr explains that members of the middle class during Victorian times had on average a life expectancy of about 45 years, and that of laborers was considerably shorter. In addition, 
many children didn't make it to their fifth birthdays. As a result, it's really not surprising that darker imagery eventually began appearing on holiday cards. In some cases, individuals who sent these cards did so in the hope that they bring good fortune to those who received them. In the crazy reason why there are dead birds on Victorian Christmas cards, Oliver G. Alvar explains that, regardless of what might be the prevailing viewpoint on the subject today, dead birds, especially robins and wrens, were associated with good fortune in Victorian England. It seems there are a few reasons for this. Some may have seen dead birds as representative of life's fragility. Maybe people sent these cards to their friends as a subtle or, okay, not so subtle reminder to quote unquote, seize the day, to take some risks and enjoy life a little more in the new year. Because one day that friend will be dead just like the bird on the card. Another possible explanation is that these dead birds were intended to represent innocents who inadvertently wandered into dangerous territory. As Alvar notes, quote, the goal of these motifs is to evoke a feeling of sympathy for the less fortunate, a sentiment closely associated with the ideal spirit of Christmas, end quote. In addition, Alvar explains that in Ireland, celebrations of St. Stephen's Day on December 26th used to include the hunting of a small wren as a gesture of good luck, which Alvar compares to another object that's still widely seen as a good luck symbol, the rabbit's foot. In addition, Ponty explains that as Christmas cards became more popular, Victorians sought more novelty in their cards. Ponty cites Katie Brown, an assistant curator of social history at York Castle Museum, who has pointed out that, quote, designs were made to serve as conversation pieces as much as they were made to celebrate the season. Many Victorian Christmas cards became parlor art or people added them to their scrapbook collections, end quote. This suggests to me that at least among some sections of Victorian society, people put quite a bit of thought into the cards that they gave out. And there may have even been some competition in who could send out the most creative card. I'm thinking here of Oscar Wilde's famous quote from the picture of Dorian Gray, or perhaps from that Monty Python sketch, quote, there is only one thing in the world worse than being talked about, and that is not being talked about, end quote. Perhaps the same was true for cards. I mean, if someone gets a bunch of cards bearing nativity scenes or children happily riding down the hill in a sleigh, isn't one featuring, say, a frog dancing with insects or an elderly couple laughing uproariously as they pour a bucket of water on the heads of carolers or children being chased by melting snowmen, more likely to be the one that gets people talking? But it was about more than just standing out. I think the Victorian sense of humor can be clearly seen in a lot of these card designs too. And going back to the conditions at the time, 
It's possible that this humor served as a type of coping mechanism. For example, maybe seeing a card with a frog making off with the loot of the frog he just stabbed, or a group of cats looking like they're about to act out a scene from A Clockwork Orange, helped people deal with their fear of being mugged or stabbed while running errands or going to and from work in the more unseemly areas of the city. This is what's called gallows humor. Not everyone tends to get it nowadays, but it seems to me like a lot of Victorians did. And if you haven't already guessed, I also happen to be a fan. I also think a number of these cards may have been intended to impart a moral message, albeit in a humorous way, particularly those featuring a not all that jolly Saint Nick peering at scared children through a window or putting a presumably misbehaving child into a sack or the plethora of cards that depict Krampus following children around or carting them away in chains or boiling a bunch of them alive in a cauldron. Ponty explains that in a legend that was popular among Victorians, Saint Nick recruited the devil to assist him in determining which children had been naughty and which ones had been nice. And in many of these cards, the devil is represented by Krampus. So, if you had received a card 120 or so years ago that showed Krampus about to spank a child or sitting behind an unfortunate child on a rocking horse with a bunch of sticks in one hand and chains in the other, you'd have gotten a pretty clear message to not be naughty. On that note, I'm going to end my discussion of Victorian era Christmas cards. But I want to emphasize that even though many of them feature images that on first glance seem pretty twisted, especially when you consider that they were exchanged over the holidays, it's important to see them as more than that. When you think about what life was like for a sizable majority of people during the Victorian era, it's easy to see these cards as products of their time that may have helped senders and recipients cope with adverse circumstances and even to resist them in some cases. Plus, many of these cards serve as a reminder that views of what's considered fortuitous and positive have changed over the years. And also that, if we think about it long enough, we still have some pretty unusual good luck rituals today. For example, this isn't a holiday thing, but I used to be heavily involved in theater where it's common to wish people good luck by telling them to quote unquote, break a leg. So although looking at a lot of these cards can be extremely entertaining, I think they can help us reconsider what this holiday is really about especially when you look at how commercialized it's become, particularly in America. I would love to hear what you think. Please email me at thevictorianvarietyshow at gmail.com or send me a voice message using the link in the show notes. Also, if you don't already follow me on Twitter, please follow me there at at victorianvariety1. I've been posting some of my favorite Victorian Christmas cards there 
for the last few weeks. So you can check those out. If you'd like to support this show financially, you can do so at www.buymeacoffee.com slash marissadf13. And finally, I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate this podcast on Spotify or leave a rating on Apple Podcasts as it'll help a lot more people find out about this show. Thanks so much for listening and for all of the wonderful feedback and support. And if you happen to be listening to this episode on Christmas and you celebrate, I do hope you're having a Merry Christmas and I want to thank you for spending part of it with me. I actually feel kind of bad that I didn't do this episode earlier this month. It hit me after I did my last episode on the Victorian era pharmacy that this one would probably come out on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And the last few weeks have been kind of hectic, so I wasn't able to put it out sooner. But regardless of when you're listening to this, I'm going to include links to all of the resources I used in putting this episode together in the show notes. And I highly encourage you to check them out because they include a lot of great examples of unique Victorian era holiday cards, such as the one that I'm going to read a little poem from to close out the show. This one features four frogs lying on their backs on bloody ice with their feet up in the air and horrified expressions on their faces. Maybe they're even dead. All of them are certainly badly injured. And I do want to say that I find the next to last line of the poem problematic. It goes, quote, there's a sweet Christmas moral for one not too slow, end quote. I do think that calling someone slow is very ableist and I absolutely take issue with it. And I do realize that this card came out sometime in the late 1800s, but still, I like to call this type of thing out when I see it. But overall, I do think this card is a good example of the one that I was talking about a few minutes ago, or the type that I was talking about a few minutes ago, that imparted some kind of message to the recipient, although it was often done in a humorous light. So here's that little poem, and the title of this card appears to be a hearty Christmas greeting. Four jovial froggies, a skating would go. They had asked their mama, but she sternly said no. And they all came to grief in a beautiful row. There's a sweet Christmas moral for one not too slow. Just so. Thank you.